Welcome to The Fintech Effect. This show is about innovation and the impact that fintechs have had on incumbents and how they are evolving in response. I'm your host, Sue Britton. I've spent my entire career inside big and small fintechs creating solutions for financial institutions. And in every situation, there are a few common characteristics that innovators need. Passion, curiosity, courage, and the willingness to fail. My goal is to share wisdom for those innovating to help them along their journey. Hope you enjoy. My guest today is Theo Lau. Theo is the author of two books, Beyond Good and the Metaverse Economy. She's the founder of Unconventional Ventures. She's a podcast host. Her podcast is called One Vision. She is a startup advisor. You'll hear about startups she's working with. Um, She's a public speaker on diversity, inclusion, fintech, tech for good. Theo's very humble, so I'm going to brag for her. Theo has over 63,000 followers on Twitter, over 27,000 followers on LinkedIn. She's one of the most well-known voices in fintech. I'm so thankful to have Theo join The Fintech Effect. Hi, Theo. Hello, Sue. Thank you for having me. I'm so glad to have you. Um, uh, We should start with a bit of an introduction. And uh, I was glad to hear that you were actually talking to some of our uh, future, you know, fintech minds in Canada at uh, the University of Dalhousie University. So, but yeah, why don't you introduce yourself and then we can kind of jump right in. Awesome. Sure. So um, my name is Theodora, uh, Theo for short. I, uh, my background, that's what I always tell people. I did not work from a bank, so please don't hold it against me. Um, My background is tech. It's been tech for almost 20 years and then... As luck would have it, I ended up uh, doing a few startups, and then I was at ARP, which is, I believe, the largest nonprofit in the United States, looking at the well-being of people as they get older. And that was the opportunity I had mm. um, looking at, you know, healthcare is obviously important, and that's a more visible sign of aging. But my theory has always been it's really hard to tell people you need to eat well and age well and exercise and all of that, unless you have financial security. Money is always in, in the, the starting point. Um, yeah. And so that's how I got interested in what is the role of money as yeah. people get older and what are banks doing and what are fintechs doing? And the answer was not a good one. Um, yeah. I, I remember at that time, this is like back in 2015 now, most of the banks I would talk to, they would look at me like, retirement? No, mm-hmm. no, no, no. There's more to life than retirement. Um, we don't retire at age 50 anymore. And then when you talk to fintechs, I'm like, yeah, we don't do old people. That was literally, I got told that a few times. We do not do <laughs> old people. Yeah. Okay. All right, kid, let me tell you something. <laughs> Everyone gets old. And, and I think that was, a, that was and still is a lot of the misnomer in our industry. When we think about, 
you know, financial security and well-being as we get older, people automatically think about drawing down. They think about retirement. Mm -hmm. But there's a whole lot more because, you know, we had gotten an extra 30 years of healthy living since the early 1900s. So are we working an extra 30 years? How are we saving up for what we need and how are we taking care of our parents and our children and taking care of ourselves at the same time? We are a sandwich generation after all. And, um, and I, I did this recently. I was on stage and uh, as I was making the point, I reminded people I am turning 50 in a month. Wow. And um, my parents are late 70s, almost 80. My kids have another eight to 10 years to go before they go to college. So think about me. I know the whole world does not revolve around me, but mm -hmm. think about my needs, right? In about eight to 10 years time, there's going to be a huge change in my life where I mm -hmm. need to plan for my longevity. I will be 60. I need to plan for financial caregiving for my parents. I need to plan for taking care of the kids. Yeah. So that hopefully they don't, you know, get burdened with huge student loan debt. What do I do from now to then? Right. Yeah. Who can help me? Yeah. So that's my journey. And that's what I've always been passionate about. And uh, a couple of years ago, I decided to start my own company. And um, the reason why it's called unconventional ventures. Um, <laughs> For a split second, I actually thought about uh, doing a fund and I realized that would just not be a good way of spending my time. Um, <laughs> but I do like the word unconventional because I like to look at financial inclusion. I like to look at technology for good. Mm -hmm. uh, and it's things that we don't typically think about, right? The needs for immigrants and women and older adults, people who are not banked. Yeah. And that's been my focus. Well, I know I know a few people that um, who are focusing on the sort of the uh, deaccumulation side of wealth, and you know how do you help folks like yeah, I'm I'm, I'm the, uh, almost the same as you, except for I'm five years older and my kids are ten years older. So mm -hmm. I'm actually, but my parents are the same age, and um, I'm it's the, I'm in the same boat. And honestly, it's been a bit of a you know like whoa, this is going to be an expensive, challenging time. Yeah. Exactly. yeah. And we want help before then, not yeah. at the time when we're going through it, because that will be too late, right? Yeah. So yeah. It's going to help us make the best decision from now to then so that we can have a higher chance of not going bankrupt. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. So. so you speak a lot and, um, you know, those who are watching us on YouTube can see you've written a few books um, and you have your own company. Um, the, 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 you know, sort of the purpose of this podcast is to try and, you know, sort of help both um, ends if there are only two, they're not, they're more than that, but um, of, you know, sort of the, the industry, the incumbents and then the new entrants and, um, and when I said there's not just two ends, there's tech giants, there's software companies, there's there's so many different players that can get into this space and are in this space. But um, uh, I I chose the fintech effect as the name for this because I think it really sort of symbolizes the the pressure that everyone is under to to change, caused by a lot of different factors. But um, uh, what's your experience like? How would you sum up your experience? you know, to date with whatever players um, with respect to the um, the fintech effect? That's a really good question, because I think so. First of all, I do I do have this question in my mind, especially 
more often lately is what exactly is a fintech, mm. right? When we think about fintech, we think about banks, we think about partnership between all of these entities. It, it, it's the word partnership that matters more than if you're a fintech, you're a big tech, you're, you know, I, I think at the end of the day, we all need each other. So that mm -hmm. that's one. Now, when it comes to partnership, I actually like to flip it the other way around. Um, there are two points is I think outside of the United States, there are some banks that are doing an amazing job that are partnering with different entities to be more successful. So those are good examples. On the flip side, um, I tend to look more from a fintech perspective. What are mm -hmm. some of the fintechs doing that they are partnering with banks to deliver more value to the ecosystem? So that's always a fun way to look at it. So I'll give you an example. Yeah, please. Earlier when we're talking about um, financial inclusion, we're talking about financial wellness and stuff. Um, so recently I just delivered a uh, keynote at a payments conference and one of my most favorite example, now caveat, we're not working together. I just love the founder a yeah. lot. <laughs> I always need to say this, but um, it's a company called Silver. Oh, so what they okay. do is they look at um, personal finance, uh, financial planning for people as they get older. Again, my sweet spot. But what they're doing is they work with both men and women. And some of the stats that came out from Rianne, Rianne came from Wall Street. So she's worked in the industry for a long time. Some of the stats that she told me was um, fascinating. Hmm. Um, half of her customers are women. So she's the founder really, of Silver? Yeah, she's the okay. founder. Yeah, Rianne is the founder of Silver. Um, <clears throat> so when she told me half of her customers are women, I'm like, oh, hmm. this is really cool because oftentimes we hear the preconceived notion that, oh, you know, only um, men, right? They seek wealth management advice and women, they tend to stay in the background, hmm. but half of her customers are women. Now, the even more interesting part is when she looked at the stats, for example, that she had with one of the current unions, the member base of that group, um, I believe she said that women members were more twice as likely than men mm. uh, to be widowed, single. Oh, yeah, yeah, for and, sure. Right. So, so if you think about that, and then you couple that with the demographics trends, for example, in the United States, where I think a recent study showed that people that are older than seventy-five, there's like a huge hockey stick up going mm -hmm. up for great divorce mm. now yeah. women traditionally we earn less we have less security benefits mm -hmm. because of that first thing and now think about the effect of having your nest egg being cut in half yeah they are the demographics that actually need more help than others and i'm glad they're seeking help and i'm glad there are companies like silver working with financial planners to help this demographic because you know yeah. as people age there are more and more of them that's going to poverty that's being homeless and if there are tools that help them meet them at the right place at the right time for example yeah. you get divorced what are the things you need to think about you get widowed how do you get your benefits you want to move here are the couple of places you can think about that lower your cost of living these are great tools mm -hmm. that we need to give in the hands of consumers is the challenge um just drop my AirPod. <laughs> is the challenge in um, the U.S. This, uh, or, or maybe you can just speak to geographies you know about um, 
like in Canada, there's not enough, there's not enough, um, uh, you know, sort of housing for mm-hmm. seniors if they can't live at home. And I can only imagine how much more challenging that gets for, you know, the, the, the spouse that, um, you know, lives beyond the, you know, um, yeah. their other spouse or maybe isn't financially, you know, um, aware of what, what they have. So mm-hmm. when they get to that point, they may not even have any money to pay for, you know, um, the, that stage of their lives or getting, you know, ill, um, mm-hmm. at a time. Healthcare. Yeah. Healthcare. Yeah. How do you pay for that? Right. Exactly. Like in, and in Canada, we've got, we're actually starting to get into the stage where we have a mix of private and public health care because the public health care doesn't serve enough, um, mm-hmm. enough people. Um, that's just my, that's, that's my opinion. <laughs> I'm not a healthcare I expert, but actually last week as well. Yeah. Did you? Someone said the same thing. Yeah. Yeah, mm-hmm. yeah. It's crazy. So what's it like, you know, you know, in the, in the geographies that you spent the most time in similar <laughs> All of the above plus more. So I think, for example, in the U.S., the challenge that we have is multiple, right? I I often say that inequality is a policy choice. I I still maintain that years Hmm. after. Hmm. I think a lot of what we see right now in the economy, in financial well-being of consumers or financial well-being of specific demographics of consumers is the result of policy choice. Right. Mm. So we don't have pension, but we have Social Security. But Social Security was designed at the time when people were living, what, 60s until 60s, 70 at the most. And now we're living until 90s. So that has to change. Your policy has to change with how we live. But that has not. Right. And so it is not, it should not be a surprise that it's going to run out of money. Um, And, you know, companies have gotten rid of pension in favor of, hey, you know, you guys should all have your 401k because they want to tell people we want to have your freedom. Well, guess what? Less than half of the people have access to a 401k because you don't have the infrastructure set in place to say you need to provide the benefits for people. Hmm. And so a lot of companies do not provide the means for people to save as they retire, Hmm. Um, nor do they have the incentive to do so uh, because the structure is set up in a way that is a little bit convoluted and expensive. Mm-hmm. So there's that. And think about the way we work with, you know, more gig workers, people taking freelance job, people who are doing semi-retirement and not full retirement. Yeah. That's also a growing group of people who do not have, have access to benefits. Yeah. They don't have health care. They don't have retirement. So now we are creating more and more problems for ourselves and we don't quite have a way to fix it. Yeah. And if we take a step back and look at beyond this, we look at half of the population, women, actually. I think there are more women than men in the U.S. <laughs> we don't have paid family leave. No. We're like the only developed yeah. country who does not have that. Um, and I, I remember this when, you know, when, um, when, I had, um, when I took time off for my first child, I was on disability leave with half pay. Oh, like, interesting. What, 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 why? Why? I'm not disabled, first of all. I was crippled. I'm not. I was perfectly fine. I just had a child. Um, but so all of That's these things funny. compound how people are um, and what they can get in the end. And recently, I just read up about menopause. 
which is another scary thing. Yeah. That was the first thing I got when I did my checkup earlier. My doctor was like, hi, how are you? By the way, here's a pamphlet guide to menopause. I'm like, what is this? <laughs> yeah, thanks a lot. Yeah, yeah. And I'll see you for a year. Lovely meeting you again. <laughs> Start reading about it. It's, there are not just from a health and biology perspective, the impact, but also financial mm-hmm. well-being. Some mm-hmm. women time off because the impact of it is so grave. Yeah. Most companies do not provide support, not from the perspective of pay time off, nor from the perspective of healthcare, right? You end up with unexpected expenses. And there are so many studies that I just started digging up that the financial impact for women is huge. Yeah. Yeah. So right. So is this like is it just that, you know, the the aging population is not, you know, an attractive segment to financial institutions and therefore there's no time spent, you know, kind of fig- trying to figure out ways to serve them better, um, male, female, you know, whatever. Or what's what's your take on that? Um, bias. Hmm. Bias, one word, bias, ageism. I, 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 I still think it's, there is this inherent thing of thinking that you know you're older, you are decumulating, right? Like you say, we're drawing yeah. money, and that just does not work with the financial model. And and I would also say is lack of imagination. If you think about how we're living nowadays, so for example, um, Pew Research published, um, I believe, last year, that they found out that there are more and more twenty-something-year-old moving back in with their parents. <laughs> yep. 60%, six zero, of first-time caregivers are Gen Z and millennials. So think about banks, right? Financial institutions or even fintechs. You're trying to go out and go after a demographic because you think, oh, they're young and hip and they'll gravitate towards digital banking. Mm-hmm. You forgot about how they are and how they live their life as an individual. They're going back home to live with their parents. They would see things. They would want to help out. Mm-hmm. They would want to probably help their parents or grandparents navigate this whole digital world. How do you do bill pay online? How do you, you know, make sure you don't get scammed, et cetera. That's an opportunity for us to rethink how we service this demographic. Think of them not as age, but think of them as a stage. What stage are, are they in right now? Mm-hmm. Well, thinking about, you know, people who are in the fifties, they're starting up their own companies. Yep. Yep. Plenty of them who are doing that, yep. right? So what do they need in terms of, you know, do they need a loan? How do we extend credit? How do we think about risk yeah, and assessing so many, the risk, right? So, so many opportunities, these, right? Yeah, yeah. Exactly, it's opportunities, not just like thinking about, oh, you're 50 and you're gonna be like retiring and just drawing down money. No, it's, I think the world is so much more interesting than that as ability to look beyond. Yeah, yeah, especially when that group is actually, you know, bigger than some of the other segments yes. of the market. Like, you know, at the end of the day, I mean, I don't, I don't know that I feel like I'm, I'm, I'm not retired yet, but you know, um, I'm certainly not spending any less as I age. <laughs> so, right. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, so I want to go back to what you brought up, um, which is, you know, this idea of partnerships being one of the real opportunities and that has come about because of the FinTech effect. And, um, can you like, I know there are so many people who want to want to see examples of partnerships that have worked out. Mm-hmm. Um, yes. And and so can you talk about, you know, 
one, two, whatever examples of really good partnerships um, yes. and why they've worked? Awesome. I'll give you two of them. Um, so one of them is actually in the US. They are called Bond AI. So I'm the advisor. And I love, love, love what they do. They have been growing and adding different ways of thinking about serving people. So what Bond AI, their latest offering, what they do is they provide financial health score oh, okay. for employees for an employer, right? So let's say okay. your employer, you have a thousand people that's working for you. And so what they do is they go and analyze how are they doing from a financial wellness perspective. Okay. And then they match the needs and the persona of each of these employees with their credit union or bank within the bond network. So within the bond network, they have partnerships with a lot of different financial institutions. Oh, interesting. So ah. they look at, oh, what does employee A need? What does Sue need, right? Huh. And how can we mix and match what she needs so that we can give her a complete portfolio of products and services that can help increase her financial well-being. At the same time, you won't be tied with a particular bank because right. that's what we do, right? We have a primary bank, I still do. And yeah. I end up getting everything from them, which may or may not best meet my needs. Right. And it's right. too much work to go out and find like 15 different things to mix and match. So what they yeah, do it's is hard they to find, right? It's you possible. and I can find lots of alternatives, but the average person certainly can't. It's time consuming. Yeah. You have to, you know, create different profiles and redo everything and research and all of that. Yeah. So they do all of that in the back end and they put all of that underneath the bond app. And so, it's of no cost to the employer, oh. no cost to the employee. And what it does is it provides an additional revenue stream and deposit for their partner. That's so interesting. It's like another sort of acquisition strategy for exactly. financial institutions. Mm -hmm. And so that's, you know, I, I can't honestly think of a, an example of that that I've seen in, certain, in Canada. Yeah, I mean, there's lots of, you know, like on the whole sort of health uh, tech side of things where, you know, companies are turning to employers and saying, hey, you know, you need to look after more than just the employee and it's and the mm -hmm. benefits that you're providing because you have to, you know, look after their wellness. And, and so this is something that oh, it's so interesting. And have it, like how did how did they win that first financial institution or what can you imagine if you weren't, um, you know, sort of privy to that in the very beginning? Um, but like, what is the, what is the, you know, sort of call to action for the financial institution? Cause I'm sure they have all sorts of different things they could invest mm -hmm. their time into, um, from an like companies that can help with acquisition. So what's the, what's the outcome that Bond AI is giving that they say, yeah, sign me up. I actually have, um, good stats, um, that they shared with me if I can find something um yeah, because sure. they, they actually just shared it um at a prison as a presentation that they did oh, cool. within the bond network banks and what they did was they pulled i'll keep talking as i open this yeah yeah um, <laughs> what they did is they pulled the um the stats from one of the credit unions that they work with and it was actually fascinating stat because hmm. i wanted to know um this was not the original product that he came up with so hmm. they have been moved so for one of the credit unions they work with and their network, um, obviously, you know, revenue, right? And, mm -hmm. and deposits, that was one of the biggest driver. They were able to increase their deposits by 51%, which oh, is interesting. huge. Because yeah. now you think about bond as a means to help them acquire customers, right? Yeah, yeah. Additional deposit. Huh. Um, and then 
they also were able to boost the loans for this particular credit union by 45%. Oh, wow. Um, and improved efficiency ratio by 5%. So these were the stats that they pulled from one of their credit union. And I think the, the, the interesting aspect of this is we are at a time where a lot of these institutions are consolidating, right? Mm -hmm. We're trying to figure out, okay, you know what's next. Credit yep. unions, small community banks, they are, they have pressure. They need to update their core system, right? Like even before we started talking, that was one of the things we chatted about. Yep. They need to find new customers because a lot of their customer base are getting older. They're moving away from the community. Mm -hmm. So this is an additional way for them to rethink community. Hmm. And, and I think that is the interesting part is like what you were saying earlier, you know, we know employers are a great spot to help find bankable moments mm -hmm. for the employees. Yeah. You start a new job, you yeah. got a promotion, you have a milestone, you have a new baby, you need to change your benefits and all of that. Well, what more can we do? Because it's a win-win. If they are more financially secure, they have better employees too. That's really interesting. So bankable mo moments that employers can use as mm -hmm. a way to provide more value. Huh. Yeah. Very cool. Yeah. What's your second example of a partnership? My second example is a um, green fintech, actually. It's outside of the U.S. Um, it's called Kogo. So uh, it's Emma. Uh, she, she, runs the, uh, she runs Kogo. And um, what they do is to provide a carbon tracker okay. for consumers. So that's one of the things I always wish we have, we have that in the US um, for reasons that we're not going to talk about. But um, <laughs> it, it's, you know, if I go shop at, I don't know, you know, um, Sarah mm -hmm. all the time, mm -hmm. I want to know if this is a green retailer. Mm -hmm. I want to know if I buy these things, what is my carbon footprint? If I go visit this particular store all the time, what, what is my impact to the environment? And more importantly, how can I change to mm -hmm. make it better? Because right? mm -hmm. I, I want to create a better future for my kids. So I want to take action, but to take action, I need data. And so what Coco does is it partners with different banks, for example, NetWest, which is one of my favorite um, out in the UK. Hmm. And they provide this tool for consumers to let them know, here are your purchases. This is your carbon footprint based on your consumption pattern. And this is what you can do to do better. Here are some alternatives and hmm. options. Hmm. That's great because they are not dictating you what you should be doing, but they're giving the power back to the consumers via data so that they can act. That's cool. Mm -hmm. It's, I mean, I think now more than ever, as we start realizing, uh, you know, the impact of climate change, you know, I, I, I now live in BC and uh, the, you know, we've had some, so much trouble with forest fires across Canada, but certainly within BC. Um, I was listening to something as I was driving home from the airport yesterday that was talking about um, how like eventually it will be, uh, they're gonna need to invent new ways of helping us to be comfortable inside our homes as the climate gets warmer and warmer. And, you know, re rethinking things like traditional air conditioning and heating and other things. And, and it just, I kind of just went, wow. like. Mm -hmm. You're, you're actually like, you know, these are things that in my lifetime have always kind of remained the same. Yeah. Um, but that now the climate change is so bad that they're actually thinking about, you know, 
different ways to keep, I, I imagine part of the issue is going to be, certainly in some parts of the world, you know, our air conditioning is not going to be able to keep us cool enough. Um, there are countries that's going to disappear because yeah. of the rise in sea levels, right? So think about yeah. the culture that we're going to lose. And oftentimes, sadly, these are the countries that can ill afford to. Yeah. And, and that's the terrible thing. And, and, and what you just said resonated so much because um, over the summer, I spent two months in Hong Kong with my kids hmm. and it got so warm. It was like 34, 36 degrees every single day, which mm -hmm. is very unusual compared to when I was growing up in Hong Kong, it was it'll be like, I don't know, 26, 27 on a really extremely hot day. It will be 30, but you only get like one or two of those in a year, yeah, right? Yeah. And most of the times it's in the 20s. And when when we were out, it was so hot. Mm. And it was the same as we came back to DC. The skin felt hot, yeah. you know, when you're out. It, was, it became unbearable. And my son and I, we were talking as we were walking. We were like, you know, would, it, would we end up in the future where people will have to live underground. Yeah. Because yeah. <laughs> to keep warm. And, and I was so sad when we were talking about it. He's 13. And I'm like, you know, maybe when he gets older, when he has children, his kids will not have I know. access to the same things, to natural beaches and all of these things that we take for granted right now because yeah. the world is upside down. And, yeah. Um, yeah. So. Well, and, and you know, you, like when you, I have to admit, when you first mentioned carbon tracking, I, I, I've seen so many, um, not, to, not to name anyone specifically, but seen so many um, trivial use cases that mm -hmm. have been, you know, put out there by, let's say, incumbents that um, don't really, like, I don't really see how they're providing meaningful value. But mm -hmm. the more and more and more we actually get educated on, we collectively can make a difference, um, the more these things are going to become really important, right? Like is, I don't necessarily want to live underground. I certainly don't want my, my, my children or my grandchildren to, <laughs> you know, like you start to think about those movies that you've seen and you think, okay, well, you know, at some point, um, actually went and saw the creator, um, a couple of nights ago, which, you know, this, that's that whole sort of future where AI eventually, you know, uh, sets off a nuclear bomb in Los Angeles. And then eventually it's this fight between, you know, artificial intelligence, um, you know, robots and humans. And it's actually a very good movie. So I'm, I'm making it sound probably like one people to <laughs> won't be rushing to. Um, but it, it's, um, it does make you think like, oh my gosh, like the, you know, the world's changing and you can imagine some of these crazy apocalyptic futures a little mm -hmm. bit more, um, you know, realistically uh, these days. Yeah. Well, but I mean, you know, like if you think about it, right, you mentioned forest fire. We all may not be living right next to the forest, but we could all feel the effect of the smoke. Oh, we yes. can all feel the effect of Absolutely. our daily lives. Yeah. Right. And so if you think about, and then you start backtracking, how do we end up becoming where we are right now? You can, mm -hmm. you can be one of those that, well, I completely do not believe in climate, but you do get impacted by it. Or recently the flooding yeah. in New York from a torrential oh, downpour. That, I saw I, the news on that and it looked crazy. That happened in Toronto like a decade ago and it was just nuts. Like exactly. people abandoned their cars on the highways. Yeah. Mm -hmm. yeah. Same thing. So all of these 
events that are supposed to be ones in thousand years, ones mm-hmm. in ten thousand years, now is happening every single year. Mm-hmm. So we can deny all we want. I think ultimately, we are in the business of moving money. We mm-hmm. are in the business of assessing risk and placing smart bets. Mm-hmm. And story. It doesn't matter which side of the political spectrum you're in. Your job is to make sure that we're still going to be viable a hundred years from now. So how do we do that? Yeah, and moving money at this point, whether you whether it's about make you know making a purchase that is um, where you're given information, as you said, where you can help it to be sure that the impact on the environment is not going to be detrimental. Like those are opportunities for financial institutions. You know, as I say that out loud, I think, oh my gosh, who is actually going to do that? <laughs> it's that scary, right? It's like, yeah. Yeah. But I think one thing that does give me hope is I look at, you know, a fintech startup like Kogo, right? And they're mm-hmm. able to get partnerships with RPS, with NetWest, with, you know, okay. quite a few banks in Australia. So they're moving along. Now, of course, you know, we have billions of people on earth and just one person might not be enough but hmm. it goes back to one of the reason i don't know if i told you the reason why our logo is a dandelion oh no it's dandelion seeds they propagate okay and then they seed really fast I see. and so if we can get the ideas spread out to mm-hmm. have enough people to be part of that and to start changing our habits one by one by one we influence three people. Those three people go out and influence five. Those five go and influence 10. That's yeah. how we can change. Is there one thing about these two companies that you get used as examples where they've gone through this, they've successfully partnered with big, big organizations. Is there one thing that they did that you think um, made a difference um, in their being successful in partnering with these bigger uh, organizations, because that's one of the biggest fintech complaints, right? Like when you see them, when they, you know, many times you see them speaking and they'll complain about, oh, well, you know, this market isn't competitive. Certainly not in Canada. It is not competitive. And so <laughs> maybe you're only, it's not, it's not. And so maybe your only way to market is through, you know, partnering um, or through, you know, leaving Canada and expanding outside. So did they do something that you think, well, this is a good, you know, sort of piece of advice I can share about, how do you partner? So Bond, um, they came out from an accelerator in Arkansas. Mm. And through the accelerator, they got a lot of access to um, to banks, community banks and what have you. They're also always very active. I actually met them through Finnovate. Oh, cool. Years ago. Um, and, and so I think, you know, every single little bit helps, right? Whether we like it or not, there's always a network. Same yeah. reason Silicon Valley startups oftentimes it's so easy for them to get access to resources, to money, to people because yeah. of the network, because of where they are. So I think, yeah, <laughs> as much as I hate to say this, being at the right place at the right time, knowing the right people. Yep. <laughs> yep. Start. Um, but don't do tech for tech's sake, right? Don't yeah. go out and do something because you think it's cool. We have seen many of them who failed. Um, yeah. Yep. You need to find what, what people need. And yeah. what they have been able to find is they found what consumers need, they found what employers need, and they also found what the smaller banks need. Yeah. And so you marry the, the three. Yeah. Well, and a lot of people are talking right now about the pivot needed to, you know, um, extend the life of, you know, the startup because they haven't maybe reached enough 
um, revenue or profit or they can't raise anymore. And so do they have to kind of expand their, their, their view into the market and how they might actually be able to go to market differently or, you know, serve different customers. Um, so yeah, it's a, I mean, it, it, there's a lot of people that want, you know, that say it's a very challenging time, but at this, I'm, I don't know, for me, my glass is always half full, um, maybe somewhat overflowing. I just see so many great <laughs> companies that I don't, I don't know that funding as an example is the only measure of success of, or growth in fintech, right? Cause so many of them mm -hmm. don't get funded. Um, mm -hmm. and they still, they still make it, uh, and, and, you know, are successful, but, um, yeah. I agree with you. I think yeah. we need to redefine what we call success and not just startups, but also entrepreneurship or also us as people, right? We have this notion. If you hit X million, if you hit this, you hit this, this is successful, but the world is so different and all of us are so different. You can't possibly just have one uniform, one size fits all. That makes no sense. <laughs> yeah. 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 That would be awfully boring. Um, I wanted to say this before, so I don't know if I mentioned this, this to you when we talked before, but my, uh, my oldest son and my son-in-law live in DC and, mm -hmm. um, they're not too thrilled with me. Uh, my husband and I moving across the country to BC, um, cause that's a much bigger trek. But the last two times I went to visit both times I got heat stroke and it's so hot. And I used to like, we had gone, they lived, they've been living there now for about eight years. And my son-in-law is from, um, DC, uh, but it is just like, you go there in the middle of the summer and it is always it's like in the mid thirties every day humid. and humid, humid. It's like, and the combination of those two things, like Toronto's humid, but this isn't, it's, oh, no, it's, this is <laughs> it's like up 10 X of Toronto. So yeah. Yeah. Climate change is going to be, it's going to make it interesting to see how people are going to live in, in that, in, the, in those types of, you know, sort of microclimates. Cause I think DC is a bit of a microclimate, right? Yeah. It, it very much is. I can see in the yard. I've lost four trees already, mature trees, Jeez. because they're less able to cope with the drastic shifts in temperatures. We used to have very full distinct seasons. Hmm. We used to have feet of snow in the winter. We, we used to have beautiful long fall and, and spring. We didn't get snow last year. We hadn't gotten any interesting substantial snow for quite hmm. a few years now. And this past year, especially, it stayed fairly warm. And so by February, everything was blooming. And so hmm. my asthma kicked in. I ha my asthma hadn't had an issue for 20 something years. Hmm. And this year was, I was miserable. I could not go outside and I had five purifiers running at the house constant. And I was on puff the whole wow. time. Wow. And you know, there's not much you can do. And then the trees start falling it, because it's just, yeah. it's too extreme. Right. So again, you know, it hmm. goes back to risk. We yeah. are in the business of managing risk. Yeah. What do we mean? You just made me think, okay, so the FinTech effect in some ways is the wake up call because, you know, here are all these great companies in Canada. We have Wellsimple who's done really, really well as a, as a startup. Um, and now, you know, they're a real threat from a wealth perspective and beyond. They're not just wealth. They're more sort of heading down that super app um, path, but that's one aspect of it. But the other aspect is, you know, if you look at the world changing around us and changing everything 
you know, the future of, I don't know, where we live, how we, how, you know, how we get our, um, uh, you know, insert blank food, you know, where we vacation, like all of those things are changing. And so maybe the fintech effect is also like, you know, a financial institution realizing that they can actually go in any number of different directions with their, yeah. with their sort of strategy. It's not, doesn't have to just be about a better, you know, digital, you know, retail app. It can be help people dealing with, you know, climate change and helping them to be more comfortable in their homes. Or fund more transition, right? So yeah. there was a report that came out that looked at from a continent perspective, um, Asia is leading the pact in terms of funding transition because we know we need to transition to different mm -hmm. forms of energy. So there in itself is an investment, right? Mm -hmm. It is investing in our future. Um, and you talk about, you know, where we live will be different. How are we going to treat the climate refugees? For those of us, you know, for those people who have to move country. I've never even heard that term before, climate, climate refugee. refugee. It's a real thing. Um, wow. it, and it's really scary. Think about people who got displaced, right? Where are they going to live? Yeah. And if you move to a different country, you know how hard it is to reestablish your financial services? Oh, I haven't even moved to a different country. I'm in a different province and it's super freaking hard. Exactly. Yeah. Right? So it brings to, to how do we think about wealth? How yeah. do we think about digital identity? How do we facilitate cross-border payments? Yeah. Financial services in the middle of everything, everything. It, 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 um, I have a client who's, who's working to build more, more of a product um, capability inside of his uh, credit union. And it makes me think that, you know, like this, the future of what product managers have historically done, which is like, mm -hmm. okay, here's my product. And I'm going to think about the future of this product. And I'm going to know what all my competitors are doing. Like kind of a lot of that is going to just sort of fall away to you know, what is your strategy? Who are, which yeah. customers are you serving and how can you actually drive more value to those customers? Yeah. It's not even really about the product, the, no. the core product, right? It's more about the, the experience. Interesting. Huh? Well, I can't um, let you go without talking a little bit about some of the tech news that's out there these days. Cause I know you're, you're like this world traveler. I watch you on, you know, do you, by the way, do you call Twitter X or Twitter? I don't call it anything anymore. I call it the bird app. <laughs> I can't call it X. I mean, that's just ridiculous anyway. But just seeing that you've, you know, you, you're, you spend a lot of time seeing other parts of the world. But so Apple just made their announcement where they're, um, they've implemented the open banking APIs in the UK and they're now going to let wallet users see real time, um, uh, uh, I guess, Balance. account, yeah. account balances. <laughs> So is that a, you know, okay, no big deal? Or is this bit, is this a big deal? I love it. Um, so backdrop, I am a huge Apple fan. <laughs> Caveat, <laughs> I love Apple. I've owned the first Apple iPhone, uh, every single generation of it. So now um, our entire house is Apple. Like, <laughs> yeah. Everything. And um, Star so Wars. Just, and to, Star just, just let's be clear. <laughs> and Legos. So Apple yeah. and Star Wars. Basically, runs our house. Um, so if you think about what they have been able to offer in the US, for example, mm -hmm. Apple Card. Yeah. When the Apple Card first came out, people were like, oh, that's not fun. Why do we need another credit card? Uh-uh. Mm -hmm. But that's 
first play, right? And then afterwards, you get all your cash back. Mm-hmm. Like, okay, so what? Everyone has cash back, and then they have the Apple savings account. Now you can mm. sweep all of those cash back directly, automatically into that Apple savings account. Huh. And I tested this. I, I I got so excited when it was available, so I signed up right away on the first day. I tested this. I was able to move money and fund the Apple savings account from my small business account from a big bank. Let's just say yeah. big bank. Yeah. Within seconds. Interesting. That was it. But right now, if I were to move money from the big bank small business account to the same big bank's consumer account, yeah, you can't. I have to write myself a check. Yes, <laughs> I know you can't. Yeah. Capture. Yeah. I'm like, think about that experience, right? And that experience alone, like, oh it's... my god! And on top of it, I get like four point one five percent interest. Yeah. Right. So everything adds up. They just make everything incrementally better. They don't need to be the first one in the market. And so when you think about this, people are like, well, Apple's going to be a bank now. They don't need to be a bank to provide hmm. what they need. Because they know what consumers want. And at the end of the day, they want mm. data back from the consumers. And which is exactly the play that they have in the UK through mm. open banking, banking API. Now yeah. they enable consumers to see across all their accounts, which is a benefit to consumers. Sure. And the back end of it, they get data. Now, yeah. Dave Rich, he speculated that their next move will be using all of that to better understand consumers and then to be able to provide digital identity. Which, if they can, it would be brilliant because they they started doing that in the U.S. Um, we have in some states we are able to actually have um, the identity in the Apple Wallet. Yeah, and you don't have to carry a driver's license. Yeah, yeah, that's cool. Yeah, right? I mean, it, it, you know, at at the end of the day, everybody is. It's like you know you 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 want to look at the crystal ball and say, what are going to be those three or four things that I'm going to use as a consumer that are going to be where I'm going to consolidate all my activity. Mm-hmm. And Absolutely. if my app, if my iPhone is where I can actually validate my identity across everything, so for sure, yeah. I'm going to use that. That's like, exactly. it's already something I don't leave the house. I don't leave anywhere without. Exactly. Right. And the yeah. only reason why I carry a wallet is because of my driver's license. That's yeah. it. Yeah. All my cards are there, on there. And and I remember um, recently I had to actually stop the card because I did something really stupid. <laughs> and, and I had to have them reissue a virtual card number. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Did it in seconds. Hmm. Done. Because their actual physical card has no numbers. And so oh. you can just go to the app and say, I need a new virtual card number. I'm Very boom, cool. Done. So do you That's- use your Apple savings account as a savings mechanism mm-hmm. and interesting and in the end you can load it whereas you you know like we said you can't even move money between your personal and business accounts um i can't even move money between my business and business accounts Ugh. i i did not doubt that i yeah. did not doubt it right and you think how what time are we right now 2023 really <laughs> we have all these things I know, I know and yet you take a look and like have we really done anything i wonder I mean, if apple could solve the you know, aging demographic financial wellness challenge. That would be amazing. I've been watching them add different things that are more geared towards family, Mm -hmm. right? So I think maybe a year or two years ago, they started adding these things like, you know, they can 
include mom as part of the family. They mm. can get alerts. They can get, you know, so I like the way they are thinking, right? Mm -hmm. And mm -hmm. the fall monitor. Yeah. So those are geared more towards older adults. So if they can continue to move in this direction, since they keep collecting data about not just us, but about a family, like, you know, yeah. we relate everything about us, um, they have ability to, uh, for parents to allocate cash allowance for children. Yeah. So now yeah. instead of just cash and Robux, now I can actually give them Apple Cash. So Interesting. Yeah. as they continue to accumulate, I think they can do more for families. You right? know, for, really what, for what we actually pay, I mean, setting aside the technology, because that's expensive, like new iPhone, mm -hmm. whatever, for what we pay to Apple, they probably are arguably the one, one of the brands that delivers the most value back. Oh, yeah. Right? For what More you so pay. Than any of the other streaming right. services, for example. <laughs> well, streaming, I'm thinking of even, you know, like, I'm not sure that I totally trust Google or I totally trust, um, you know, certainly not Meta or, as we just said, whatever, the, 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 the little bird. Um, yeah. But Apple, Apple doesn't have that issue, mm -hmm. do they? They actually they have, have a brand. They, they have, have more trust. Value. Yeah. 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 Huh. Yeah. Interesting. Hmm. Well, I am excited to see I'm what not the future is. Yeah, me too. I, I mean, I worry about any one organization getting too big. Yes, I do. But, uh, so interestingly, one of the students at the university, he asked something, which, which is not a bad question. It was an interesting question. Hmm. He asked if we look at, for example, the super apps in Asia mm -hmm. and how you know, the Alipays of the world, they have so much data on a particular customer. And now mm -hmm. we see the same thing um, in the US with Meta, with Google, with Apple, mm -hmm. um, Amazon, all yep. of these, yep. compared to governments mm -hmm. knowing what private citizens are doing and owning it. And he asked, you know, what do I think about it? And I told him, I said, you know, as much as I don't like governments knowing everything a private citizen does because that's dangerous yeah uh, at the same time i do worry about private corporations owning all the data about a consumer because almost, they have it's no almost rails. more worrisome isn't it right? when you just the way that you put it like if i if you just did a survey question after you just said that i would probably be i would prefer government to have more data on me than i would a private it's about accountability, right? There's yeah. no one to, to go back to. What are you going to say? Like, uh, yeah. And what part of the world you live in exactly. but, or <laughs> what, what part of the world, but then also, you know, <laughs> what's your, what's your, uh, you know, your politics. God, you guys just must be so tired of us politics. I want to just go live in an island and just Honestly, I, you know, my husband is so fixated on the us politics and I, and I've tried or really earnestly to, to really learn about it and understand it because I don't care. Um, but, uh, and he's so excited about what's happening with Trump these days. And, um, I'm like, I, I'll believe it when I see it. I just, it's just been going on for so long. This insanity just it's tiring. Yeah. There's something yeah. feeding that, that, you know, organism uh, making yeah. it <laughs> continuing to make it <laughs> not go away. Anyway, oh, it was really great talking to you. Um, Thank you so much for joining my 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 new podcast uh, series. I really appreciate it. And um, 
is there anything you want to share with folks about, you know, if they want to get in touch with you, you know, what are some of the things that you can, you can, um, you know, help with? Uh, yeah. Find me on LinkedIn. Um, that cool. I am, I am more often on LinkedIn now than I'm anywhere else. So, um, just look me up and let me know how I can help. Awesome. That's great. Thanks, Theo. Thank you. All right. <laughs> Take care.